Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith. And we're using in this series the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. This week we want to consider the doctrine of creation. And in this connection I invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Hear the word of God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yield seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. 
And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So far, the reading of the holy and infallible word of God. Dear friends, the history of the church is punctuated with theological controversy. During the second to the fourth centuries, there was a controversy over the doctrine of the Trinity and especially the person of Jesus Christ. During the 16th century, there was a controversy over justification and good works. During the 17th century, there was a controversy over the doctrines of grace. And during the 18th and 19th centuries, there were controversies over the inerrancy of Scripture, the miracles of Christ, and the virgin birth of Christ. But there is one doctrine that has produced more controversy than any other doctrine. It is the doctrine of creation. The controversy concerning this doctrine began in the middle of the 19th century with the publication of Charles Darwin's famous book, The Origin of Species. Now, although not all of the thoughts in Darwin's book were original, in this book, Darwin argued that the various species of plants and animals that we see around us were not created from nothing, as the Bible teaches. Rather, they evolved over millions of years. Lower life forms, he said, evolved into higher life forms, resulting in the species of plants and animals that we see today. We call this the theory of evolution. Now, though this theory has been repeatedly modified and expanded over the years, the theory of evolution is the most widely held belief concerning the origin of living things in the world, at least in the Western world. And it's taken for granted by most scientists today. And it's also taught as fact in most public schools today. And anyone who questions this theory is immediately dismissed, even though it is only a theory. But we must not allow ourselves to be unduly influenced by the unbelieving world. The Bible says that all men are liars. And that's because man by nature is at enmity with God. He hates God and he wants to have nothing to do with God. And he does everything in his power to exclude God from every area of intellectual inquiry, including science. While secular science has contributed much to our understanding of the world, and for that we may be very thankful... It may not and cannot be our final authority. Our final authority, even on questions of science, must be based on the word of God. Well, what then does the Bible teach about how all things came into existence? Well, we have an answer to that question in Article 12 of our Belgic Confession of Faith, which we've been studying together the last number of weeks. And it's to that article that we turn our attention today. Now, before we do that, you'll notice that this article can can be divided into three parts. The first part contains a summary of what the Bible teaches about the creation of the world. 
The second part contains a summary of what the Bible teaches about the creation of the fall and the fall of angels. And the third part contains a refutation of errors concerning the angels. Well, today we're only going to consider the first part of this article dealing with the creation of the world. Next time, God willing, we want to consider the creation and fall of the angels. So my theme today is the creation of the world. And we'll consider, first of all, the author of creation. Secondly, the method of creation. And thirdly, the purpose of creation. First then, the author of creation. Article 12 of the Belgian Confession of Faith begins with this statement, and I quote, We believe that the Father, by the word, that is, by his Son, created the heaven, the earth, and all creatures, as it seemed good unto him, giving unto every creature its being, shape, form, and several offices to serve its creator. End quote. So we confess here that God created the heaven and the earth. Now that's exactly what the scriptures teach. In Genesis 1 verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This is echoed in Jeremiah 10 verse 12, where Jeremiah writes that God has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens by his discretion. And in Nehemiah 9 verse 6, Nehemiah prays this, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worships thee. And so the scriptures are clear. The world and everything in it was created by God. Now specifically, the world was created by God the Father, the first person of the Holy Trinity. He not only devised the plan of creation, but he also executed that plan. But we confess here that he did so by the word, that is, by his son, Jesus Christ. That too is what the scriptures teach. John 1 verse 3, John says, All things were made by him, that is the word, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in Colossians 1 verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, For by him, that is, by Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And that has led some theologians to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ as the mediator of creation. He is the mediator of redemption and he is also the mediator of creation. Now, although our confession does not mention the Holy Spirit as such, nevertheless, the Spirit, too, was involved in the work of creation. He was there at the very beginning. Genesis 1 verse 2 says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then it says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, putting all this together, we can say that the world and everything in it was created by the Father, through the Son, and in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's true, and it is, then despite what the vast majority of scientists claim and believe, and despite what is taught in all of our public institutions of learning, the theory of evolution is false. And there are several reasons for that. 
First of all, the theory of evolution teaches that various species of plant and animal life, including man himself, evolved over a period of millions of years from simpler life forms. But the Bible says that God created all things after its own kind. He created birds as birds and cattle as cattle and fish as fish. They did not evolve from lower life forms. They were created more or less as we see them today, including man himself. And they retained that likeness. They didn't morph into a completely different likeness. Secondly, the theory of evolution teaches that life evolved spontaneously. But this contradicts the Bible that says that God gave life and breath to every living thing. It's also illogical. Everything cannot come from nothing, at least not in and of itself. Only God can create something out of nothing. Nor can order come from chaos. One writer once claimed that the probability, I quote, the probability of life arising on earth by purely natural means without special aid, divine aid, is infinitesimally less than the probability that a Boeing 747 could be assembled by a hurricane roaring through a junkyard. Thirdly, the theory of evolution is based on the assumption that impersonal matter made it made personal Humanity. Now that too is completely illogical. How can matter that does not feel create people who do? How can matter that does not think create not only the physical organ of the brain, but the mental thoughts that accompany it? How can impersonal matter create a person with an identity and a personality? The naturalist, the person who attributes everything we see around us to natural causes, he has no answer to those questions. The only plausible answer to these questions is what we find in the Bible, in the Word of God, that God created man in his own image. At root, therefore, the theory of evolution is not science. It is a worldview. And it is one that is based on and is dedicated to proving the presupposition that there is no God, and as such, it must be rejected. But perhaps somebody objects to this and says, well, the Bible's explanation of the origin of things is not scientific, and it requires faith to believe it. And that's absolutely true. We freely admit that. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were made were not made of things which do appear. So we readily and freely admit that our belief in the fact that God created all things requires faith. But my friends, so does the theory of evolution. In fact, we would argue that it requires more faith to believe in the theory of evolution than it does to believe in the doctrine of creation. Now, the evolution, of course, denies that. He says that his view is science. However, nothing can be further from the truth. Evolution is not science. It is a theory, and it will always remain a theory. And so God created all things. He is the author of creation. But now the question is, how did he do this? How did God create the world and everything in it? That brings us to our second point. Our confession makes a number of statements concerning how God created the world. Notice, first of all, it says he did so out of nothing. The Latin phrase is ex nihilo, out of nothing. 
And I quote from Article 12. We believe that the Father, by the word that is by his Son, created of nothing the heaven, the earth, and all creatures. God did not, as some have claimed, create the world and everything in it out of pre-existing material. For there was no pre-existing material. He did so ex nihilo, out of nothing. Now that's clear from Genesis 1. Day one, God said, let there be light. And there was light. There was no light before until God spoke. Day two, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. and Let it divide the waters from the waters. And then we read, and it was so. Before God spoke, there was no firmament. He spoke and there was. So God spoke. And whatever he said came to pass. He created all things by the power of his word. Now, I realize, of course, that God did not create everything out of nothing. The plants and animals were formed by God out of the ground. The birds and the fish were brought forth out of the waters. Man was formed from the dust of the earth. Woman was made from the rib of man. But in each case, the thing which God used did not exist before he made it. And therefore, ultimately, God made all things out of nothing. Now, we're reminded here, aren't we, how unbelievably powerful God is and how powerful his word is. Whatever God says comes to pass. Doesn't God say as much to his servant Isaiah? In Isaiah 55, verse 11, God declares, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so let us therefore never underestimate the power of the word of God. By means of his word, he called forth all things into existence. By means of his word, he healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. By means of his word, he calls forth sinners out of darkness into the light of the gospel, transforming them from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. How great is the power of the word of God. But secondly, we confess here that God created everything with thought and care. We confess that God, and I quote again from Article 12, God gave unto every creature its being, shape, form, and several offices to serve its creator. End quote. So the work of creation was not haphazard. It involved careful planning and consideration. There is, as one writer says, a fitness to it all. Now, the evidence for that is all around us. For example, have you ever noticed how every plant, every animal, every insect is perfectly adapted to its environment? And what about the food chain? Isn't it amazing how one animal is perfectly equipped to feed on another? Or think of the hydrologic cycle. Have you ever considered how wonderful it is that that water evaporates, and when it does, that it forms clouds which carry the moisture, sometimes for thousands of miles, and drops it on the ground, beginning the cycle all over again? And I could cite many, many more examples. The point is, God created all things with a specific design and purpose in mind. The universe and everything in it is like a complex but well-oiled machine. Everything has its place, everything has its purpose, and all of it testifies to the greatness of our Creator God. In Psalm 104, after recounting all the great acts of God in creation and in providence, the writer exclaims, Bless thou the Lord, O my soul, praise ye the Lord. 
My friend, is that also your response to the doctrine of creation today? Does it make you want to praise and magnify and bless the Lord? Well, this is precisely what it's designed to do. It's designed to make us want to praise and magnify and bless the Lord for all the mighty deeds that he himself has done. Well, there's one more question concerning this doctrine, and that is, why did God create all things? And that brings us to our third and final point. So why did God create the world? Well, some have said that God created the world because he had to. The act of creating, they say, is essential to the existence of God. If God did not create, he would not be God. But that's not correct. For one thing, God doesn't have to do anything. He does whatever he pleases. For another thing, to say that God created because he had to is to make God in some way dependent on the creation, which is simply not possible. If God was in some way, no matter how small, dependent on creation, then he wouldn't be God. Now, others have said that God created the world because, and especially man, because he was lonely or he felt incomplete. But that cannot be either. God is perfectly fulfilled in himself. Job 22, verse 2, Eliphaz asks, and I quote, Can a man be profitable unto God? And that's a rhetorical question, meaning the answer is obvious, and the answer is no. And in Acts 17, verse 24 and 25, Paul says to the men of Athens, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he gives life to all and breath and all things. The point is, God does not need creation in order to be fulfilled, nor was he ever lonely. From all eternity, God enjoyed perfect fellowship, perfect communion and satisfaction and fulfillment within himself. So then why then did God create the world? Well, our confession mentions two reasons. First of all, it says that God created the world for the service of mankind. In other words, God made the world for man. He made it so that man could use it for his own pleasure and his own advancement. Now that means, of course, that we may use this creation. We may kill fish and animals for food and clothing. We may cut down trees to build our houses and to use as firewood. We may mine the treasures beneath the surface of the earth, coal and oil and gas and precious stones. We may use whatever resources the Lord has given in order to provide for ourselves and for our children, for that's the reason why he gave them. And isn't this exactly what the Lord himself says in Genesis 1, verses 28 to 30? After God created Adam and Eve, he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then we read in verses 29 and 30, And God said, Behold, I have given you, that is man, every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life I have given every green herb for meat and it was so so God himself gives the entire creation to man to use as he sees fit The entire universe is at our disposal. 
Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that man can exploit the creation without care or consequence. Not at all. That would be a sin. God gave man dominion over the earth. Yes, indeed he did. But he expects us to take care of it. We must be good stewards of the creation which the Lord has given to us. And that means that we should strive to be environmentally conscious. Concern for the environment should not be relegated to godless environmentalists. Christians should be vitally interested in environmental issues and in promoting environmentally friendly practices at home, on the farm, and in the workplace. In fact, we as Christians should be on the forefront of those issues. But not to the point where we regard the earth as sacred and therefore untouchable and to be preserved in its pristine state. The truth is, the earth is not sacred. It is given to us by God to be used to our advantage and comfort, although we must use it, as I said, responsibly. Now, the second reason why God created the world is for his own glory. After confessing that God created the world for the service of mankind, our confession in Article 12 adds these words, to the end that man may serve his God. So the reason why God created the world and gave man dominion over it is so that he might use the creation to glorify him. You see, that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not man, not his well-being, but the ultimate goal is the glory of God. This is why God created the world. And I wonder today, are you glorifying God with all that God has given to you? And is this your number one goal in life? Is it your number one goal in life to use the things that God has given to glorify, to praise His name, and to extend His kingdom? How prone we are to forget that. Our tendency is to think that the world and everything in it exists to serve us, period. That's a result of the fall. The fall has made us selfish and self-centered. Someone once said this, because we are fallen and sinful, we inevitably focus upon our own sinful and self-centered interests and not upon the ultimate interests of our Creator. We see creation as something we can either exploit for personal gain or something we can worship instead of bowing the knee before a holy God. That's the reality. That's who we are by nature. So what's the solution to this? Well, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to live in the proper relationship with God's creation, we must know the mediator of that creation. We must know Christ. We must be savingly united to him. For when we are united to him, then he gives us a new outlook. He gives us a new perspective on God, on ourselves, and on the world in which we live. Then we come to realize that we are sinners. And that as sinners, we have fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we deserve his wrath and his condemnation. But then we also come to behold the Lord Jesus as the only Savior from sin. And we come to look to him, to trust in him, to love him, and to live for him. And we come to develop a new purpose in life. And that rather than live for ourselves and our own enjoyment and our own pleasure, we seek only to live for others and ultimately for God himself. And rather than use the creation to advance our own goals and our own interests and our own agendas, we use it to glorify God. So we need to know Christ, beloved. Do you know this Savior? Oh, may God grant 
that we may use the creation in the right way to glorify God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, for he is most worthy. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.